let's get stuck into Ephesians. Here we go. How long is this going to last? I don't know. We're, uh, it's, um, I thought we we're going to do the whole first chapter today. We're not. We're going to get the first 14 verses done. So, um, so um, yeah. Let me read it. We were, uh, I think it was David that was struck by this. We were together during the week and um, verse, a few verses from Timothy, the public reading of the word. Devote yourself to it, Paul encouraged Timothy. So let's, um, if, you have your, if you have your Bible, or you have your app open, um, whatever it is that you've got, let's uh, read through it together. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Just so you know, I'm reading the NIV. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm, realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So tempting just to pause everywhere through that. Like it's from the beginning. He has blessed us. Can you believe this? He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So as we gather here today, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. It's remarkable. And so um, again, just to, just to reflect for a moment on our, on our introduction last week. This is a series on this letter, and the whole way through it, I think the theme is going to be a conversation about growing up in Christ, growing in him, of maturing, and I think Paul uses it in this letter, maturing into the full measure of the stature of Jesus. That's what Paul is, that's what Paul is opening up here, the maturing and growing to the measure of the fullness of Jesus. And again, as I shared last Sunday, uh, this, is a, this is a remarkable letter. 
This is a remarkable gift to the church. See, we are, we're given insight into mystery here. We, have, we are given an understanding of the church from the inside, this hidden foundation from the beginning, from even before time began, it was this hidden foundation, and it provides a grounding for us. This is what I'm looking forward to. It's, this is a grounding for us. And of all that's gone on over the last number of years, we always need stuff like this, but all that's gone on over the last couple of years, it feels like we just need some grounding. It feels like we need a, a secure and steady place. We've always had it, but maybe we just need reminded of it. A sure and steady place to stand. Secure place, secure footing, foundation that is, that is certain, foundation that, that continues to f- bring hope and confidence and provides a grounding for people no matter who they are or where they find themselves. And as we said, it's a grounding for whether you're first century Ephesus or your 21st century ritual. This provides a grounding And we're given an understanding of the church from the inside. It's hidden foundation, revelation that was entrusted to Paul. And so we're going to be talking around how we become healthy in God, how we become robust in in love. And so as we go, um, as we go, I'll have to repeat it every week, but these are, I'm convinced what Paul has given us here, the healthy conditions out of which this this maturing that we're seeking can develop. These are the conditions we're going to be speaking to every week in this, through this letter are the conditions of which I believe maturity can develop and I, if you participate, if we participate, will ultimately develop. As I mentioned again, just, uh, just by way of introduction, this letter, I think, almost perfectly divides in two. The first three chapters are the gospel story, the God story, or salvation story, whatever way you want to put it. And then the, the third, the chapters 4, 5, and 6, has this pivotal moment in Ephesians 4, verse 1, where it says, therefore, in light of this gospel story, in light of this salvation story, in light of this Holy Spirit-filled story that you've been invited into, this is, this is how we live, this is how we grow, this is how we mature. And what I, what I find fascinating about this, we, we, it, it doesn't come across in our English, but these verses that we've read um, from three, Paul introduces himself, tell, tells us who he is, brings a really brief greeting, and then just goes for it. And if we were able to read the Greek, um, we would see that this is one long sentence. I just find it amazing. Like this is, maybe, just, maybe Paul broke all the sort of grammar rules. Like I remember thinking back, I have to go back a long way. But I remember often I'd have been, if I'd have got into it, I was rubbish at creative writing, but if I'd have got into it a wee bit, I forgot my full stops or I forgot my commas or whatever because just so excited. And this is all, it almost like maybe a poor analogy, but this is, what, this is what's going on here. For 201 words, Paul doesn't stop. This is one huge, monstrous sentence in the Greek. And there's something about that that I, that I just love. I know it's really simple, but there's something about his passion that is clearly on display here. Unfortunately, I have one of those sort of like monotone voices that I can't like, cannot, I guess, who can, who's got real, David, should have got David to read those verses in the, the way Paul would have been writing them. Just full of passion, full of like, he's just stunned by this revelation. 
just stunned by what it is if we could grasp this mystery of who the church are, what it means to be caught up in this gospel story. It reminded me a wee bit of, of where we went on Wednesday night. And again, just so that you know, that we, uh, we had the joy of being together in the flesh. This was the first time in a midweek that we've been together in the flesh, somewhere on Zoom, which is great. But uh, we were able to meet upstairs in the youth room. And so, uh, so know that that's available to you um, on Wednesday night. Love you to come um, and, and be part of that. But part of the conversation on Wednesday night was speaking about that invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples, gave to these fishermen. Uh, at the beginning of, of Matthew's gospel and, he'd say, and, it, and we were reminded that they had dropped everything. Like they were, these were fishermen. They were, they were being apprenticed. They were going to take over the, their father's business. This is everything in their life was given to this, um, was given to this, this job, this career. And on the invitation of Jesus, they dropped everything. They were so caught up, they thought it was worth giving up everything that they dropped it all and followed him. They were so captured by the person of Jesus. They were, became so in, caught up in the gospel story and by Jesus. And, 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 as a, and this is the story develops by the church for Paul that he could barely contain himself. He too, like the disciples, had just been caught up in the gospel story. He too, like the disciples, was just was, 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 was willing to lay down everything. Everything was as rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. And he was so captured by the gospel, so captured by the church, that he could barely contain himself. And so he goes at this. This is 201 words of just overflowing passion and joy and wonder. And so what I want to do this morning is just to point out seven verbs... It's not going to be like school, I hope, in case people heard the word verbs and panicked. This is, they'll be taking us through some sort of English lesson here. But anyway, it's a, who wants to tell me what a verb is? Jada, what's a verb? A doing word. Isn't that right? That's how, I, that's how I was told it anyway. But before we get there, just one thing I want to point out. Um, and uh, during the week, I, just, I, went, I went really, I really went into a bit of a thing. I told Andrew this. I went into a bit of a rabbit hole about. I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted to talk about these seven verbs, but there was something about this idea um, of in the first verse, chapter th- or verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Trinity is a word that is not mentioned in the scriptures. And for whatever reason, my head went to this idea that Paul, that Paul was beginning to communicate what he was experiencing. He, he, he found that this, he, even the, the beginning of this story of the church planting in Ephesus, we have these guys who, who knew who knew the word, who knew God, who'd heard about the baptism of repentance, but they never knew there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. At the risk of going off on a tangent or, or, or getting this wrong, it felt like this, this was just something that they were working out. So as we read through the, read through the Old Testament, no understanding, of, no understanding really of Jesus. 
I know there's moments where, where, where there's something implied around revelation of, of Jesus. But it wasn't until he came in the flesh that it was whenever they looked at Jesus, that's how they were able to know what the Father was really like. And as the story develops and as it goes on, when Jesus ascends, he promises that he'd send the Spirit and it'll be the Spirit that will reveal the Father. It'll be the Spirit that will lead you into all truth. I suppose, uh, maybe you're not not following me here, but but just this idea that Paul was just trying to articulate uh, what he had been finding as he journeyed with God. In some ways this was all new for him. He had this Damascus Road experience where he thought he'd worked it all out, did everything right. And he has this encounter with Jesus and he's filled with the Spirit and then he's beginning to, to work out the story of salvation. And if we, were to take, if we were just to take this and go through the whole of Paul's letter, we, we'll see that this is something that he is experiencing and trying to articulate. And so in Romans chapter 8, when he, talks about, uh, when he talks about when the Spirit comes, you'll know who Abba is. You'll be able to call him Abba because of the Spirit that's worked within you. When he speaks about our prayer life later on in that same, in that same chapter, he reminds us that it's the Spirit within us that is interceding with, with groans that we cannot put into words. He reminded that Jesus is interceding on our behalf before the Father. This, this is all stuff that Paul is trying to articulate as he is experiencing something that, uh, that, that very few people had ever experienced before. And throughout this letter, there will be moments where you'll see that he's this Trinitarian experience that he has of God. And I just wanted to point it out because there is within the trinity there is different there's different thoughts there's different patterns of thought around the trinity and who am i to stand up and try to explain it or try to define it it's in many ways it's mystery but i think what we do know and what i think that paul has experienced and is articulating is that there is a mutual there's a mutual relationship within the trinity there's this mutual uh, outward giving love there is this mutual giving and receiving. There is, there's many that have talked about this idea of perichorosis. It's like, the, it's like the divine dance. Richard Rohr has a book called The Divine Dance. It speaks of the Trinity. It speaks of Father, Son, and Spirit in this, is that in this interweaving movement. These interweaving movements that take place in God. And it was Paul Fittis that, that, that said this, participating, um, we have this opportunity now to participate in the flowing movement of love between the Father and the Son in the ever-surprising newness of the Spirit. And so all of these type of words is reflected on what Paul was experiencing in this, in this uh, revelation of, of Father, Son, and Spirit. This, the mutuality of this giving and receiving, this outward giving love, this interweaving movement of God, and then we get to, we get to participate in this flowing movement. So we are made in the image. Go back to Genesis 1, and we're reminded that we are made in the image of this Trinitarian God. I think it's important for us as we, as we begin to reflect on this letter because we too are made to be mutually 
dependent. We two together as the church are, are, are made in the image of, of one who we then participate. We get to participate in. So this is, this is what it does mean. This is what it sounds like to be part of the church. Mutually dependent, participating together. And there's an, there's an image, I think, we see of that in this experience that Paul is having of the Trinity. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. And what Paul is reminding us, what Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus, is that spiritual blessings are not for individuals. It's not for us alone. The spiritual blessings that are in Christ, they belong to the church. And so it obviously impacts us individually. But as we read through this whole letter, you cannot come out of this reading this letter or engaging with what Paul is saying here with any type of individual gospel. That will be impossible. I'm sure of that. The spiritual blessings that we, that are ours in Christ are not for us alone. They belong to the church. And so as, as the church, together let's hear about these, something about these spiritual blessings that are ours together. And so I think through these seven verbs, they're action words. These are the work of God in us. This is the action of God in us as the church. These are words, these are reminders of how he empowers us, how he enlivens us as we participate together in seeing his kingdom come to earth. And so the first one is blessed. It's what God does. It's the first doing word that we see here, the first action of God in this, in this monstrous sentence that Paul is passionately writing reminded that what God does comes out of who he is what we receive from God is who God is the second one really could spend time in this but I just want to highlight these seven words to you for for your reflection for your Meditation on, hopefully, throughout today. Chosen. The second word, the second action of God, the second word word that reminds us of the work of God in us is chosen. And so again, maybe this is, you're familiar with this, you're familiar with this idea, but just to remind you, in case you've forgotten, you were, this, was, this is not some last-minute decision. This is not some sort of spur of the moment thing that happened before, before you had any idea that you were part of the story. 
God had already set something in motion. He had already made his mind up. You're not a last-minute decision. You're not a, this is not some spur-of-the-moment decision that he has chosen us. I just want to take a couple of minutes here in this word destined. This idea of the, the, the work of God, this action of God, this work of God in us. Destined, I think, is a really good word. It's really important. It's a beautiful word in many ways. Some of the, sometimes I'm grieved how the church has used this word to divide over. They've used this idea of being predestined to, uh, to, to divide people into two camps on what your school of theology is. For me, as I read this word destined, it just reminds me of the sense of intention, the intention of God. We're told in that same verse, verses five or six, that this is what he wanted to do. When he destined us, when he predestined us for adoption, this is what he wanted to do. This gave him great pleasure. This is what, this is what he intended. There's just a sense of intention. And if I, can just, if I can just offer this to you, and there maybe is different trains of thought in the room, different schools of theology when it comes to predestination, and that's fine, honestly. But for me, I, I suppose I just got stuck into this idea of the, the, Greek, the Greek meaning of destined here is P-R-O-O-R-I-D-Z-O, P-R-O-O-R-I-D-Z-O. But the, the, the root of that word, it means boundary. And there's something about that that I just feel it, that just, that just gives language to probably my experience of, of God, my experience of who I feel he is. And so I, I, I trust and believe that I'm destined, that I'm predestined. When, he, when God destines, he marks out the boundaries. He marks out the boundaries to live the life of purpose that he calls us to. And so there is a tra- there, the, so the, the, the train of thought, um, the other train of thought could be this, almost this blueprint version of being destined or predestined. And I just want to say to you, my experience of this, my, my wrestling with this, or, or even my actually holding tightly to it years ago, actually did me more harm than good. So I had this. I had this belief. I was convinced. And again, if that's if, the, if this is what you hold to in the room, don't feel like I, um, like making light of your stance. But the blueprint version, which determines the fate, which already has determined the fate of every person, I personally found it harmful. And even just in my own in my own journey, in my own walk with God, this blueprint version that every detail of my life was already marked out. And it's almost then that I lived in panic. Well, what if I, what if I go to the wrong school? Or what if, I, what if I go to the wrong job? Not that this would be remotely possible. But what if I married the wrong person? Like what, if, what, like, what if I missed the blueprint? What if I missed the exact detail that was laid out for me and I, and I got it wrong? What if I didn't get it right? What if, I'm, what if I ended up moving into the house that wasn't part of the blueprint version? And in some ways, that was harmful for me. For others that I know, that's not, that's not harmful for them. That is helpful for them. But for me, it just it, it felt like everything was emptied of mystery. 
And the fate of every person was determined whenever my life was already laid out for me and I just had to follow the pressure of following every step of the way. It felt like, felt lack of freedom. And so in some ways, and I do, I say this respectfully and gently, even if that is, even if you do hold to that blueprint model, even if that's what you hold to, I want to suggest that none of us have access to it. I don't think any of us have access to this blueprint version of what it is to be destined. But I'm convinced that he marks out boundaries for us for our good and for his glory that he is there is boundaries that he marks out for us to live out the purpose that he has called us to the fifth one the fourth one sorry is bestowed bestowed there's other versions of this there's other more extravagant meanings poured drenched it's always it always feels like it's in the within the context of grace he's poured out his grace he's drenched us with his grace he has bestowed grace and as we go through this letter it is it feels really hard to give a perfect definition to to grace that has been bestowed because there are so many variations throughout this letter around our salvation, around our giftings, around relationships. Um, just always uh, poured out, bestowed, drenched. Fifth one is lavished. And if you go to the concordance, if you go to your concordance, uh, maybe some of you have in the back of your Bibles or wherever you wherever you find those sort of things. Um, it feels like Paul uses this word as often as he possibly can. Um, but I, lo- I love the idea of it. I think it's important that we hear this word again today, this idea of, being, of he lavishes his grace upon us. He goes over and above. Isn't that incredible? Like he goes, he goes over and above. It's already like... Whenever we're reading through this and think like it's like look how much he's already done, but actually he's he's only getting started. <laughs> he's gonna go over and above. I feel like he just even his blessing, how he blessed he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. That like that already feels over and above, but he's also chosen us and he's destined us. And he's bestowed and poured out grace on us. And he's, he's just going to keep going. He's just going to keep going over and above. He's going to lavish more and more. The sixth one is made known. Uh, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Again, I feel like this is important. I think this is... Uh, this is going to be helpful for us, this, on, this idea that it's just not information that is being passed on. Paul is not just, Holy Spirit is not just dumping information on Paul and get, having him to that being enough. That's not really what it is to, to, to make known. We don't know each other relationally if just somebody gives us a load of information. This is who you are and where you went to school and 
all of that. It's not just information, it's, it's information, something being made known with wisdom and insight. There's just two verses to point out in, uh, in Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 11 and John 15. And in Matthew chapter 11, he's, he's speaking about this mystery of the intimacy between father and son. And in verse 27 of Matthew 11, he's, in the words of Jesus, in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, says, I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And then again, a beautiful chapter, John 15, um, verse 15, where he calls us his friends. Again, the paraphrase is, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything that I've heard from the Father. And so this is not information for the sake of information. This is, this is wisdom is knowledge lived out. And so we are, what's made known to us is, is, uh, is given as we exercise wisdom and insight. We involve ourselves in this mystery of intimacy between Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the last one is he, uh, he gathers up. I feel like I've read it that many different versions. It's, he sums up, or the times have reached their fulfillment, or, or he gathers up. But it feels again like another pivotal moment. Maybe I've said that too often, but it feels like a bit of a pivotal moment here. We're reminded with all of these blessings, with all the action of God, all that he's doing in us is this reminder that he is summing up everything. He is reconciling everything. He is bringing everything together in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus. And then the last few verses, it speaks to about the, this is all for the praise of his glory. And my take of verse 11 is you have been chosen to participate You've been chosen for participation, and that is f- to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, we have this promised Holy Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance to those of us who are God's possession. And that too is for the praise of his glory. And we live to the praise of his glory live when we live knowing who we are and whose we are. We have this understanding of who we are and who we belong to. That is to the praise of his glory. And in some ways it feels like I've, that maybe just feels like I'm just dumping seven verbs on you. Let's work this out. But those are just some things that I think that are really worth our meditating on. Really worth us to get inside the God story. To get inside this incredible story of salvation. Incredible story of the church. And it would captivate us in the same way that it did the disciples. It would captivate us in the same way that it did Paul. And it would all be for the, to the praise of his glory. So let me pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this letter. Father, thank you for, thank you for all of these words. I feel like we could just hone in on every one of them. God, but we, we take them all and acknowledge that you've even you've gone over and above for us. And so God, we get insight. 
Would we, would we know that today? Would we sense that today? Would you give us further insight? Would you give us further wisdom um, into what it means to be chosen and destined, to what it means to, to have the blessings of the Lord bestowed and lavished upon us? Father, help us to know who we are and who we belong to. And God, as we continue to, to, to wrestle through this letter together, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow up in Christ. You'd help us to deepen our roots. You'd help us to delve further into mystery. And God, I pray that we, we are reminded again that we, we, need, we need to do this together. It's been entrusted to the church. And um, so help us, God. Holy Spirit, we need you. Would you fill us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for being here. Enjoy the rest of your day.